Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It has been said one or two times, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollar on. And it literally just leads to a serious case of fear of missing out for me. I absolutely want to play all the good games out there, and I know a lot of the guests who I have on this show do too. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast, is to sort of explore the greater gaming industry, um, some of the cool stuff that's out there, and uh, talking about the things that we love. Now, oftentimes, we have people on this cast, and we talk about you know, the games that we're playing and we're enjoying, but today we're going to talk to one of the guys who writes the games. Um, now, I know we've done that a couple times recently, but I'm very excited to have our guest on today because not only is he from the great state of Massachusetts, um, but he's, he's a guy who has just put out Osprey's newest blue book, or I should say Osprey's put out his game as part of their blue book series. Uh, it's a game that if you follow uh, the Cast Ice Facebook page, you would have seen me posting a lot about recently, Zona Alpha. And of course, I'm talking about Patrick Todorov. Patrick, welcome to Cast Ice. Gosh, thank you for having me here. It's really an honor. It's astonishing to be here, to be honest with you. Man, it's funny that, you know, we come from, you know, come from less than, what, an hour's drive from one another? Right. And now... Right. I would definitely be inviting you down for the weekly game sessions here. Right. But now I live literally on the... If you drew, you know, a, a laser light through the middle of the earth, I'm on the opposite end. And now here we are talking about the game you just put out. It's funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah, right. Exactly. Right on. Now... I I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the best way. I, I do like to do a little synopsis about the games um, if folks haven't heard of it. And because it is a brand new game, I thought a little explanation for those who hadn't heard might be a good thing. And I sat down to write an explanation and I ended up writing, and for the listeners of the show, you're probably not surprised, something like five pages of like, what am I going to do to say this? And then I just looked at the blurb at the back and went, oh. There it is in two sentences. So if you'll excuse me, rather than doing my long-winded version, I'm just going to read part of your blurb and we'll talk about it. Uh, Zona Alpha is a set of simple, fast-play skirmish rules for scavenging, exploring, and surviving in the near-future post-apocalyptic Eastern European setting. Players take control of crews of loners, misfits, and thrill-seekers who are desperate enough to risk the exclusion zone for valuable artifacts and the salvage it contains. Boom. I mean, short, sharp, and boy, does that summarize the contents of this book. Um, that is such an interesting, and I almost want to say the word niche uh, setting for a game system, but the more I dug into this, the more there is, and I think I just wasn't paying attention. Tell us a little bit about how you got the idea to put a game in this universe. Okay, well, um, if you're familiar with the setting at all, you know that I lean really heavily into the Stalker and the Metro 2033, you know, settings, mm. the universes there, which are founded on Roadside Picnic and the movie Stalker. Um, and so that was the first, okay, so Stalker, Shadow of Chernobyl was the first sort of open world sandbox game I had ever encountered. Mm. And I was so fascinated by the thought that they had mapped out 
30 square kilometers around the old power nuclear power plant. And then they had set a game in this place that that you could it had day and night cycles. It had wandering, you know, packs of dogs and bandits and things. And I and it was so different um, when I got it from the usual sort of run and gun with with nine inch nails playing in the background mm-hmm. and you're just blasting everything. And this was like moody and brooding and there was lightning and and. Uh, you know, clouds, you know, just shadows of clouds moving across the fields and and wolves howling in the distance. And then you get like a bottle of vodka and a Makarov and they say, hey, help us clear this old factory of bandits. And I was just I was I was instantly hooked. Mm-hmm. It was so fascinating to me. And so then the the tabletop gamer in me was like, OK, I got to turn off my computer now mm-hmm. because I've spent days wandering the zone yeah. and I need to I need to translate this if I can to the tabletop. How do I capture that aesthetic? Where am I going to find miniatures? Where am I going to find terrain? How am I going to sort of recreate some of these elements on the tabletop? Yeah. And that was sort of the for my first attempt at translating that universe, that world onto the table. And as you say, I mean, the detail they went into in that game is amazing. Um, now, we talked a little bit about this off air, but um, I, I, I absolutely love Fallout. Um, and I played Fallout 4 quite a lot when it came out and then afterwards because I'm very slow. But, um, you know, quite a few elements or places in that game are actually places in Boston, which, of course, we are both from. But... Right. Um, you know, they sort of compressed all of the locations and it, they weren't true representations. But to, to look at the creators of this game, as you say, they, they accurately mapped out 30 kilometers around the Chernobyl power plant to the point where people could recognize, you know, not just one or two locations, but they could actually navigate around it and go, oh, yes, that was that. Right. There's a story that the they took the plant manager the the computer game company took mm-hmm. the plant manager in and they gave him a virtual tour of the parts of the landscape. And he was like, oh, yeah, no, I recognize all this from my commute to work. That's crazy. Like the, this bend in the road, this tree. And I'm like, oh, my God, really? They know that's fascinating. Now, to, you know, to the extent that it's completely accurately mapped out. I mean, I don't know. But right for that for that plant manager to, to recognize his daily commute. Was that's astonishing to me. I mean, I thought I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. On top of it being a really cool game. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, that eye for detail, and and what I like is that you've taken. I mean, you blue book games are sort of famous for being sort of short, sharp rule sets. Like you only get a certain number of pages, and you 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 have to stick to that, and you need to make these games. They're you know Osprey blue books are they're short, they're thin books, um, they have soft covers, and so sometimes when you read those books, authors can go sort of one of two ways. Um, either sometimes it's it's a very generalized game that you know it, it might be fun for a beer and pretzel sesh, but um, sometimes lacks the depth. And other times they get super micro they're in, in trying to make a skirmish game, it gets super micro focused. And I tend, I think that sometimes they tend to bog down a little bit. 
Um, games like Gaslands for me were was a was a perfect representation of the Blue Book game that sort of threaded down the middle. It had teeth. It had you see you know tactics. It had some some depth to it, but also was easy to quick up and you know pick up and play. And I'll be honest, I haven't played Zona Alpha yet, but I've read through the book quite a few times now, and I've, I've sort of pushed some models around the tabletop and rolled some dice just to make sure I had my head around how the basics work. And my God, for a game that is a thin blue book game and is easy to sort of understand the mechanics of, this has some real depth to it that is really fun. Um, and I think you did a great job of taking that sort of universe and while the universe isn't necessarily written about in the book i think the art has done such a good job of marrying up with what you've written um you don't have to have pages of fluff now there's a lot of fluff written into the mission so to speak but you don't have like 16 pages of background at the beginning you don't need to right correct and thank you that's that's a quite a compliment but Sam Lamont, the artist, did just this outstanding job. I remember getting the, you know, the proofs, the rough sketches and stuff. And I'm like, oh, this is so awesome. Right. <laughs> it was he just did a great job. I mean, I it, he really did. And so and the guys at Osprey were really good. Um, and Sam did a fine job. And so I had to my my aim was not to sort of reproduce the game or the or the roadside picnic or anything like that. Right. But which just sort of capture that aesthetic sort of bake in the feel of the place um and then give gamers sort of a toolbox i'm huge on narrative gaming mm-hmm. and so here's a toolbox you have a better imagine you have a better sense of your own collection and your own play preferences than i do right so here's a toolbox um you use your imagination you take this and run with it you build something with it I'm not going to tell you how to game. I'm not going to tell you necessarily what to game. You just take this and have fun. Build something with it. Totally. Build your narratives. Build your missions. You know, create your crews and go. Yeah. Go wander around like I did when I first got the computer game. Exactly. And I think the fact that you have, I mean, it's a miniature agnostic game as well. So it means Mm -hmm. that. As you say, go to your collection, pull things out. And when I got this, I immediately went to my collection and went, okay, what do I have? Uh, and I pulled out a handful of zombies. I pulled out a couple ghouls um, from various game systems. And I pulled out a giant pack of wild dogs and went, boom, all I need now is to paint you know, an actual crew of guys to you know, go exploring. And I, Bob's your uncle. I'm ready to go. Right. When, the, when, when I first started writing it and trying to do this, there were no there were I was taking you know like modern Russian miniatures and then cutting and the, cutting off their heads and mm-hmm. and putting pig iron you know pig iron production gas mask heads on them and finding bits from other uh, you know old necromunda kits or mm-hmm. whatever and then I painted up um, crews from the different factions from uh, in the stalker game you know clear sky freedom mm-hmm. duty monolith. And so I had these little, like the, the assault group, modern Russians or Eureka miniatures, nice. modern Russians, you know, modified and painted up and ready to go just because I was so into it. And then uh, Lead Adventure did their last project line. They came, Igor Karpov mm-hmm. started sculpting some stuff and I just about died for joy. I was I was so amazed at the job that he did that he captured that stalker metro feel. 
Um, but yes, it is miniatures agnostic. Yes. Oh, so there's man. a little plug for let adventure there, but, um, yeah, it is miniatures agnostic. And that's the idea that you take what you have in your collection. It's your, at some point you bought the game. It's your game. Now it's your zone. So go have fun. Yeah. And that is reflected in the rules. I mean, sometimes in rule sets, there's the, the little paragraph of, Oh, um, make sure that it, you have a gentleman agreement and have a good time when you're playing this. Um, but it, sometimes that can leave, you know, if you're gaming, you'd be like, but but how do you actually resolve issues and things like that? But I think the way the game works um, is very much, I mean, you really do got go out of your way to say, this is your gaming experience and you give us the tools to sort things out. Um, I think without it being, as you say, because of the way it's narratively driven, I, I can't imagine this being a system where you're going to, you know, get into those arguments. Um, just the way that game is tonally written. Yeah. I mean, I hope, I certainly hope not because that there's lots of things to get upset about in this world. And I don't right. think toy soldiers is one of them, you know? Mm -hmm. So, all right. And we're getting together to have a good time. Again, I'm not a competitive gamer. I know some competitive gamers. I actually tend not to game with them. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, I like them as friends, but we don't game together because I'm just not that kind of person. Right. For me, it's all about the story. It's all about people engaging in the story as it unfolds on the tabletop. And it's like, I don't care if I, if I lose a guy, if it was a good moment. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, Absolutely. If they, if, Absolutely. Right. If my if my opponent made that impossible shot, I'm like, ooh, good shot. Yeah, man. You know, good good for you. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah, totally. It makes for good stories. I mean, if everything happens according to the way the odds work, uh, gaming would be really boring. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta have some yeah. some out there moments so you have something to say over the beer later after the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what some you know. There's another gamer said to me once. You know, if you if you if after the gaming session you talk about the rules, it wasn't a good game. Yes. But if you talk about the game, then you had a good game. Yeah, man. That's if you the... talk about those moments and that you know those things that that charge up the hill, that you know that last stand, you know whatever it might be, then you're like, yeah, that was a good game. That was a good session. Yeah. So anyway. No, man, I couldn't agree more. The, that stuck with me. Well, I, so, yeah. I think that's a good Zona segue. Alpha. Oops, sorry. I think that's a great segue to actually talking about the rules. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. You were saying, um, I think I interrupted you. Zona Alpha what? No, I was just saying. So I was trying to get myself focused also, thinking out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yes, the rules. What do you want to know? Well, let's start with um, what, uh, this is a skirmish game. So what can people expect as far as building a crew? Now, uh, as far as I understand, you can have uh, three types of models and you can have crews um, between, was it four and 10 or 11 models in your crew? Yeah, depending on how you want. I tried to sidestep the whole economy and min-max mm. game um, by letting people choose according to the number of actions, available actions in the squad. Right. So there are troop quality levels. So you have green troops that can only do one thing per turn. When activated, hardened, you know, sort of experienced troopers who can do two perform two actions when they activate. And then you have veterans who can do three. Exactly. And so if you're going to and there's a Russian word, Krabrost, which and I probably just butchered that. But like, yeah, courage or I'm going to have yeah, Russians sending me nasty emails now. Um, 
which is which is Russian for courage or metal. Mm-hmm. And so that's just the term that I picked up. And so you you can have a 12K squad. That's right. And those actions you can spend however you want. If you want an all-veteran crew of four guys, yep. four you know, super elite experienced guys, go for it. If you want to have, you know, a leader and then a whole bunch of green noobs, mm-hmm. the noob squad, you know, running in waving AKs, yep. you can do that too. But nice. they're but they're not going to be able – you're going to have more of them. You're going to out-activate in terms of warm bodies, but yeah. the act, the number of actions available, at least at the start, is the same. Right. Oh, that makes sense. So yeah. that's, how it's, that, that's how it's built, and that's how I sort of sidestepped the whole – economy and numbers crunching and everything like that so yeah so troop quality levels is one of the things that i concentrated on Mm -hmm. um the other sort of you know three-legged stool here the other leg of the stool is streamlined stats yes so there's model stats and there's weapon stats Mm -hmm. and i didn't differentiate between melee and ranged i sort of let the weapon do that so exactly. every I assume that every soldier is trained to a certain level of proficiency. And if you give them a knife, they're only going to be able to attack in melee. Right. But they're they're you know, and if you give them a AK, then that's a range shot. That's right. So models have like a basic there's four basic stats, combat ability, armor, mm-hmm. movement and will. That's right. Weapons, on the other hand, now now it gets to what you equip that model with. They have firepower, damage, and range. Well, I love that because it means that you have, um, you could have a really good weapon, for example, or I mean, I guess good weapon is relative in this game, isn't it? But you, it's the strength of the weapon. It's not the person who's firing it, right? I mean, it very clearly differentiates between um, inexperienced troopers using assault rifles versus, and it's a very different feel. Um, from, say, a veteran using assault rifle, but they're still going to have the same strength weapon, right? Correct. The weapon is the same strength, but they might, they're going to be better at handling it. Right. So their combat ability is going to be greater than the green troop, but they're not, they can't inflict any more damage necessarily. They're just better at putting rounds on target. Right. Well, let's, let's talk about, you, you've mentioned that each uh, each level of experience, so to speak, um, mm-hmm. in bolt action, I think we we referred to that as veterancy, and I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast like bolt action. So, I mean, it's different but similar in that you have your veteran, you have your um, you, in, in bolt action it would be called regular, but in your case it's hardened, and then you have your rookie. Um, now, unlike bolt action you do get more activations. Now, how can people spend those activations? Because it, like most skirmish games, you have your usual move, you have your shoot, um, but there's some nice crunchy differentiating uh, maneuvers that you can give models um, that really breathes life into this. Well, um, you know, you've got all the standard actions in a war game, in a skirmish war game. So Mm -hmm. move, shoot, um, Climb. The guys can aim. They can go on alert, um, the, which which is sort of you know which is Overwatch as it yeah. were. Um, yeah, I mean, run, jump, fight, shoot. You can interact. You can use something. You can remove a pinned counter. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's again, it's pretty basic actually um, as to what the guy what the what 
what the crew members can do, what your models can do. True, but a lot of times with these games, you get people who have very fixed, you know, characters on the tabletop, for example. I'm going to use the word character, not model, or I guess model, since it's a skirmish game. But they have a, they, everyone tends to have the same number of activations. But because you have hardened or veterans who have more activations, um, as you say, being able to remove those pin markers, um, if you are working with a bunch of rookies, uh, that that's very valuable and also being able to you know move interact you know grab the pouch or hit the switch um and then maybe attack something that's about to come at you if you're a veteran well that's valuable versus you know the rookie who might just run up to the console and then just stand there like a potato while everyone else is coming at them because they're trying to figure out what to do um i i think that really does give uh extra value to the veterans well, we have played. We, you know, we again. When I sat down with the the first few iterations of the rules, mm. I gave them to my gaming group, and I'm like, okay, let's try to break these. Nice. So let's put it on the tabletop. Let's try to let's tweak everything we can. And so we've played different games where one of the guys took a single leader, and then nine, you know, green rookies, mm -hmm. and then another guy took all veterans, and then other people took a mix of you know veterans hardened and green rookies and in, in the end so you're trying to figure out like what is the balance between warm bodies and activations right and so it usually the the consistently the players with the mixed crews where they you had a couple of veterans a couple of hardened guys and who were shepherding a couple of rookies it once you learn to use it right and the game is very deadly so once you figure that part out oh yeah you can't go rushing in um those are the ones that prevailed in the end because they had the balance between the, you know, the number of people on their squad to absorb some hits mm -hmm. and the actions to still get something done. Exactly. Like the veteran crews always started out really well, but once they, you know, lost a guy to a casualty, um, they find themselves in a real tight spot. They can't get things done like they thought they could. Right. Cause now you're down to three guys. Yeah. You know, or whatever it might be. So you've got to, you know, you can you can play and you can win if you have an all veteran squad to start, but you have to play much differently than the guy who's got the green rookies. Yeah. So, um, yes, it is. Uh, yeah, I we like I like the idea of the different troop qualities and it leads to some very interesting moments, especially once you add in certain skills mm -hmm. like the the leader of your crew can always. He can transfer actions. He can, you know, shout out an order to a guy. So he has three actions, but he can give them to people near him. So he can order those rookies. He can make good use of his or his leadership ability and order those rookies to do more than they can on their own. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. Um, and I like how by sort of streamlining the character, quote-unquote character creation, by having sort of three classes to pick from by experience. Um, I mean, everyone's a basic human, right? But if you right. if you have that, then you tease it out with those skills, as you said. Um, and even though the weapon list isn't necessarily 16 pages long, it's a very um, succinct list, but there's nice variation in there as well. So you can have some variety in your crew. So you have, you start with very basic characters, which level character do I want? You add a few skills, you add some weapon options, but then if you have factions that go into that, as you're playing the game, maybe in a campaign, 
all of a sudden there are little bonuses that you can have that aren't necessarily you know groundbreaking, but add that variety. So there is there's that that breath of life that really just gives you some choice, which is really nice to see, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, thanks. I mean, again, you had mentioned, you know, trying to fit everything into 64 pages. Right. I mean, you've got the Osprey Blue Book format. So I'm kind of like, all right, so how can I capture, you know, flavor and give gamers an, you know, options Mm -hmm. um, to make their characters and their crews distinct and yet still keep it streamlined um, so that it's quick and easy to, you know, to get on the table, to teach somebody and to play. Mm-hmm. It's not bogged down. You're not flipping through charts. You're not constantly, it doesn't take six rolls to resolve combat. Um, you don't have to track a lot. So like, how do I walk that, you know, that sort of tightrope, mm-hmm. um, walk that line so that, you know, it has flavor, but it's also simple. Right. I mean, and again, you know, I, I don't know, um, someone, you know, uh, I'm familiar with firearms, and so the AK-47 is about as simple as you can get. Right. It's as a firearm. It's rugged. It's reliable. You know, it's not perfect for everything, but it does its job well. And so I kept thinking, like this, I want this to be simple and reliable. I want it to work. Um, it's not going to make everybody happy. It's not going to do everything, mm-hmm. but I want this set of rules to work and to be rugged and reliable. Right. You know, on the table for people to you know, take their, to create their own missions and run with them into the zone. Right. And I like, uh, so the way the characters feel for this and excuse the comparison and going back to the video game, but it almost feels a little video gamey because, um, with equipment, for example, so you have your base, you have your basic trooper, you have, as you said, the skills and you have the weapons and then, you know, how the faction bonus kind of works into that. You sort of gives it a little bit more character, but then you have equipment on top of that. And there's just a simple equipment list. Um, there's three basic categories, basic, advanced, and special, but you have things like binoculars, gas masks, um, toolkits, scopes, chest rigs, Kevlar plates, and what those allow you to do, uh, I mean, they give you, I mean, it's literally one line of description of what it allows somebody to do. So it's very simple. You don't have to go digging through and you don't have to read, you know, reams of text to see what each thing does. But each one has a very subtle but important impact on the tabletop. So again, each character has its own um, sort of feel and flavor because of the equipment they're carrying on top of everything else. But it, it because you have those three slots and because it feels so simple, it almost feels like a video game where like, okay, I'm going to activate, put this on this guy, and it gives him this ability. Um, but again, keeps things short, sharp, and really simple to play out on the tabletop, but allows you to have cool things like, awesome, I'm going to have a gas mask on this guy, or cool, um, you know, I've got electric juice to drink if I need it, or a med kit, or a red dot sight on my sniper rifle. So there's, yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's nice to, you know, it's thank you for saying that because that was my intention. Mm. I wanted it to be, you know, again, um, you could flavor to taste, but I want it to be simple. Right. So that people can get playing without having to read, you know, some massive tome and memorize it and keep the book with them and mm. have, you know, six different markers in the book where you're like, okay, I got to flip to page 17 now. Yep. Because he can, you know, all right. So I want it to be simple. I want people to get to game get to get into the game quickly. And then 
I think the rules should support the narrative, the story behind the mission instead of get in its way. Right. Um, exactly. That's my hope. That's my hope anyway. Well, and let's, so I yeah. think, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, let's get to the missions uh, and talk about okay. the zone itself. But before we do that, I want to quickly point out that there's a crew roster page on the last page of this book. Um, that's great that if you photocopy it a couple times, um, you have, you know, enough for your entire crew and you can just cut them out. And as a primary school teacher, you know, I'm going to laminate it. Um, and I'm, you know, you, you have your cards on the edge of the table, so you don't actually necessarily need to bust open the book a whole lot. It's all right there in front of you, which I think really helps to make that skirmish experience easy. There is uh, Osprey has put the um, stat sheets up online at their website. Oh, cool. And uh, we have them also over at there's a Facebook group called Stalker Seven. Mm hmm. Um, and so they're also they're there. There's a quick reference sheet there, and there are these sort of two up stat cards for people, as well that you can get in the file section of the group. So I know not everybody does Facebook. Um, you know, I'm also an older generation, so Facebook is kind of I'm, I'm not on Facebook a lot, but I do use it for things like this. And so um, it's there, and Osprey has it on their blog as well. Nice. Well, let's let's. Let's quickly plug that group again, um, because I'm a member of that group, and I think it is absolutely great. Um, there's a lot of people not only posting their hobby progress and their ideas for the game, um, but the file section, as you say, is invaluable. And, uh, you know, there's little cool ideas, contests, and, uh, you know, you get to see, you know, some really creative terrain as well. So that's Stalker7 if you are on Facebook. Um, and if you're looking for it, its label is Stalker 7, a haunt for Zona Alpha, Hardwired, and other skirmish war games. Um, and we will get to Hardwire at the end of this. But, um, so, again, Stalker 7. So, and that's the number 7. So, if you go there, go to Facebook, you'll find it. It's a great group. Um, I think you'll recognize a lot of the faces um, from the Cast Dice page slash uh, a lot of other wargaming pages who, um, you know, folks, the, the who's who is there. Um, so yeah, check it out. There's, it's a great community, people sharing ideas. It's cool. Yeah, I definitely, I was, we had our first contest, the terrain contest, and mm -hmm. I was just ridiculously impressed by the stuff that people made. I mean, yeah. you know, it's humbling, it's inspiring, it's just amazing. Uh, and people were into it, you know, so yeah. I've got the guys here who a couple of them are members of the Facebook group, but they didn't enter anything. So the guys here are, are the judges along with me. Nice. So and it's been tough. We already had like like this past week, Tuesday night, we're already like sitting here arguing in front of the computer screen going, yeah, but I like that, you know, mm -hmm. that one, that one. I'm like, no, 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 no. What about this one? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool, too. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's good. It's very good. It's it is a very good group. And so I'm very I feel fortunate to, you know, just be a part of it and watch it. Right. So, well, you're also anyway. interacting. You're 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 giving. I mean, it's it's good to see authors uh, interacting with their community. Uh, I think it is sort of one of those telling marks of a a good modern game is when people interact with the people who are playing it. Um, and well, yeah, I'm a gamer. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm a gamer. I mean, I have been a gamer since I was 13. Yep. So you know, I mean, that's when I first fell in love with toy soldiers. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I, I like this. It's not just something I get to do this. I mean, that's right. the cool thing, 
right? And, yep. and so me being a gamer, it's just it all comes out of that. The fact that I enjoy this game and I enjoy the setting mm-hmm. and I enjoy, you know, cool models on the table. So, you know, it makes perfect sense to me to be a part of it, to dive right in and say, hey, thanks for enjoying it. And isn't this cool? Like I get to share this experience with other people. Yeah, man. So anyway, and I mean that sincerely. I'm not I'm not just kind of, you know, blowing smoke. No, yeah. So, anyway, I hear you, brother. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I, I wasn't expecting to be completely honest. If I'm gonna put my hand on a Bible here, I wasn't expecting to love the setting. Um, I, I didn't play Stalker. I'm, I'm not super familiar with it, and I know there's a few people throwing eggs at me from the internet right now. Um, but I bought the game because I'm a huge GI Joe. Um, fan from the 80s and I've been building up G.I. Joe and Cobra armies in 156 scale for ever now and um, I was looking for a modern skirmish rule set that I could put on the tabletop and use for that background and then I opened the book and went well that 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 initial idea of why I bought this book I'm throwing it out the window and I really love where this is going and I started pulling out all my um, because one of the factions from that sort of genre was the October Guard, like 1980s Soviets. And I bought a bunch yeah, right? of 1980s Soviet stuff that had been sitting in a box because I was like, I'll get to it after I finish the G.I. Joe and the Cobra stuff. And then I went, turns out I have everything I need for Zone Alpha right here. So I'm just going to put that project on the shelf and pull this out. Um, but I love that you can get um, a crew painted for this. Um, I'm hoping to have it done in a couple of days. Uh, and I'm a slow painter. So this is an easy pickup game. Um, it's not, I know some people are like, oh, I have a tournament next week and a good friend of the show, uh, right now is probably listening, painting highly, um, because he has a massive event coming up next weekend and he's been painting for weeks and he's like, oh, I can't do anything else. I have to paint, have to paint, have to paint, have to paint. But you know, this is one of those great games that you can pick something up and paint a little bit, um, you know, after, as a break, after you finish a big project like that, or even if you are on a time schedule, but you want to, you know, paint something different, this is a great reward because, as you say, you can paint between four and nine models, and you have yourself a crew. Um, right. So yeah, easy pickup. Sorry, that was my. Yeah, little... again, that, that's what I'm aiming for. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm at a place as a gamer where it's like, I love the idea of gaming, but in all the guys that come over here and game, you know, but we don't have time. We have all these other obligations. Yep. You know, right? You know, you got family, mm-hmm. you got work, you got other stuff. And it's like, so, but but we love gaming. And so, like, what can we do that's quick, that's good, yeah. that's fun, um, that, God forbid, maybe uses models that I already have or right. models from some other game, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, why not just slot those in and get them on the table? Right. And right. have a good time with them. Right? Yeah. Stat them out. Get get them on the table. Let's go. Amen, brother. Uh, we're, right. We are so time poor. I don't know. I you know when I was a kid, I had all the time, but I didn't have the money. And now That's I have. Right. And not that I'm rolling in it. I am a public school teacher, but I have some money, and now <laughs> I just don't have the time to play the games. And there's so many good yeah. games, but you know, yeah, games like yours that are short, sharp, and you can just get on the table and you can enjoy and you can play. You know, in a in a it isn't going to take all day to play. You can sit down and play a good game in a couple of good games in an evening um, and have a great time doing it. And boom, that is my kind of game. And again, narrative driven. Well, I I did say the G.I. Joe thing just so I could segue into what hooked me about the setting. Again, the pictures and the way 
that you've sort of written the game has sort of helped set the stage without having to write this. But the missions are very narrative focused, as you've said. So tell us a little bit about how missions are structured and how they work in this game, because it really does set the scene. All right. So allowing for the individual gamers to create their own scenarios, there's there's sort of a prompt table in there. Right. I can't tell you what page it's on, but it's in there. But um, every mission in general, every game has a central mission objective Mm -hmm. plus a number of hot spots. Um, These are locations where there's valuable salvage on the table. Now, every so there are different. Uh, you know, threat levels to the regions that you can explore in the zone. Mm-hmm. The deeper you go into the zone, closer to the center, the more dangerous it is. Yeah. But also, it has there are more hot spots there in in the in the deeper levels of the zone. So these are evenly placed throughout the board. However, whatever size game area you decide, you divide it up into even quadrants, and then you figure out, okay, if I'm playing a threat level one. Uh, area like on the perimeter of the zone, there's going to be two hot spots and a central objective, and I'm going to place them sort of evenly throughout the board. Mm-hmm. Usually, the central objective is in the middle, and then your guys come at it. And so the the thing about the hot spots and the central objective is that they they spawn at they're like trigger points. Mm-hmm. They spawn zone hostiles, denizens, inhabitants of the zone, creatures, bandits, criminals, whoever it might be. Um, that will spawn at random and then start to attack the first thing they see defending that area. Right. And we always pass control of the zone hostiles to the other player. So, um, you know, if I trigger a hotspot, then the, then my opponent is the one who's rolling the dice for the, for the hostiles and controlling their movement. Right. Um, I built in something kind of borrowing heavily from the game where you could um, – toss a bolt mm-hmm. again i don't know if you know if you know the game um you toss you can toss a bolt into a, a hot spot or into an anomaly and you can trigger it so the idea behind that was you can toss a bolt like a grenade in a mm-hmm. sense um and it triggers the spawning of the zone hostiles now the sneaky thing is is that they spawn at random and you could and sometimes they spawn and then they attack your enemy yes your opponent right so you can like hide lob a bolt over a wall, trigger the hotspot, and then then a pack of zombies appears and goes right for your opponent. Mm-hmm. And you're like, ha ha, gotcha, right. right? So then you can sweep in and you can clear the hotspot and get the salvage out of it. Mm-hmm. And that was my right. next question. And well, I, I guess having read the rules, that was the next thing I was going to say is um, clearing the hotspot is something you want to do and you're rewarded for. Right, risk and reward. Yep, mm-hmm. so that's a simple way to... I don't know, introduce incentive, I guess, if I'm going to be technical about it. Right. But, you know, to reward the players for gaming. No, so you get more uh, you get more of a reward if you complete the mission objective. But there's not just one objective. Or mm-hmm. let's say your your opponent, you know, really got a bunch of lucky die rolls and he managed to clear it out. You can still salvage something, pun intended, mm-hmm. you know, from the game by by clearing some of the hot spots on the peripheral, you Absolutely. on the perimeter. Right. So you get a chance to do that. Yeah. And that, and I mean, I have been playing a lot of games recently where, um, you know, streamlined skirmishy games like Warcry and other games like that, where, you know, one player, you know, gets to win and then the other person goes, okay, well, you know, 
It was it was fun. It was a great gaming experience, but they don't necessarily walk away with anything. But I love that in this game, um, you do get you know there the because there is the missions you can play linked missions and there's so some some character progression and you can buy things when you go back at after the end of a progression of missions to buy things um you can sell your salvage and then buy things with it um there the, as you say there are a consequences for things that happen there are lasting injuries but also um it's worth going to the effort of doing that um, and everyone takes something from the game, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that, again, that was my hope. Um, I'm again, being a narrative gamer, not a competitive gamer. I'm mm. like, okay, so how do we keep, how do we keep people involved? How do we, right. you know, make it advantageous for the guy who's like, all right, so I didn't have good, you know, my dice were not with me. Um, you know, I had some bad rolls. I had my, I, I've been down a casualty from the game before, mm-hmm. but I can still pull something off out of this game. And end up maybe, you know, maybe my my opponent gets the main the mission objective, but my hotspot had an anomaly in it. So not only did I get a bunch of salvage and some rolls on the equipment table, but I ended up with an artifact. Nice. Right. I, I got right. And so yep. I ended up actually with more value, takeaway value than my opponent did. Right. 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 So that so the, and that keeps them in the game. It's not mm-hmm. like, haha, I crushed you in one game. That's it. Sucks to be you. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're done. Too bad. Yeah. You know, it's more like, you know, you can keep playing this. You can come back. Yeah. You know, you can you can play the long game and play smart and then end up with a crew that survives. And, you know, mm-hmm. go you, you bring a bunch of rookies, you know, all the way up to become veterans over the course of a campaign. Yeah. And it, you're like, yeah, those are my boys right mm-hmm. there. Right. And you're That's invested it. in them. That's right. Right. Exactly. Now, given how so deadly that, the game is, that that isn't always going to happen. <laughs> But yeah, uh, yeah, yep. it is a deadly game. It yeah. is intentionally a deadly game. Yeah. You know, like a, I think it says in the rules, you know, bullets are not your friend. No. So, so you have to play smart. You mm-hmm. have to use smoke. You have to use cover. That's right. Um, uh, but you can do it. It's doable. Once yeah. you shift your mentality from the, hey, let's all run in the middle and have a big rugby scrum. Exactly. Um, right. Let's let's think a little bit tactically. Let's use some overwatch. Let's, you know, think about this. Um, it, yeah, it's, it, it is a very fun game, but you have to shift, you know, to be a little bit more serious on the table now, especially if you want to preserve your guys. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, um, I, I love another thing I love about this is that you aren't just playing face to face. It's not like you, I mean, you are sort of competing to get to your objectives and to clear hotspots. But as you pointed out, there's hostiles. You have, and just to go through some of the list, um, I know you mentioned a few. There's, you know, weird vermin. Um, you have dogs, zombies, ghouls, bandits. You have different varieties of mutants. So there's all kinds of uh, weird and wonderful creatures you can run into um, when in the zone. And as you say, the further into the zone you go, the more likely you are to run into these. Um, there'll be more hotspots. Um, but also there'll be more uh, of these, so they become mm-hmm. more dangerous. And, um, you know, in a lot of games, you are literally just it's just your mo- models and your opponent's models on the board at any given moment. But in this game, there's more. And it it really does feel like it gives you a feel for being in a place and not just playing in an empty map where it's just you and your opponent. Um, 
You know, it isn't necessarily, you know, there's games where, you know, you're playing in the middle of a city and there's no one there. And it's an empty, you know, you're like, where did all the citizens of this place go? And while this place, you know, the zone, your universe should be empty of normal people, it should have these hostiles in it. And I like that yours absolutely does. And you have that AI element. It, it just adds a lot to the game. God, thanks. I mean, again, that's the idea. Like, introduce, you know, in the in the low threat level games, they're kind of a nuisance. Right. But once you go deeper, you're like, oh my god, you know, like I could die here. This is dangerous. And so there there have been times where opponents have actually worked together to yes. clear a nest of incredibly dangerous hostiles, and then say, okay, all right, I'll, all right, you get the kill credits, I'll get the salvage, you know, and then we'll kind of agree to you know, look the other way and not mm -hmm. kill each other here because the, the idea is survival. But it introduces this sort of random element that's, that's on nobody's side. And the control switches, you know, from player to player depending on who is in the line of sight of those zone hostile models. Right. And so, it, yeah, again, I'm I was trying to introduce that randomness and that sense of a bigger world um, and just create this additional element as much as I could, where the, the, you're playing against the environment, you're playing against the board itself. Right. It's like a third player in the game that doesn't care about either of you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. Right. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit. I know we did talk sort of rules a little bit, but I do think it's important mentioning, um, even though this is a super narrative-focused game, that this is a D10 system um you are mm -hmm. using 10-sided dice um which adds just that little extra granularity um to the results um than a d6 would allow is was that intentional on your part why to d10 um d10 was a good spread of numbers a little bit more than a d6 not as swingy as say a d20 right and more common than you know whatever your d12 or your mm -hmm. d8 um and so yeah I did that. That's all I can say about that. It's just that I like the D10. I think it was a fair range of numbers. It allows for some modifiers, but not too many. Right. And it's not too swingy. You know, the modifiers actually mean something in a D10, um, you know, spread. Yeah. And just I, I'm not a big competitive gamer these days, but I do like when I'm making decisions on the tabletop to think about, well, how possible is what I'm rolling? Should I do this? Should I do that? Would my character do this? Would my character try and do something? And the way that I think about like the possibility of it is I do a little bit of you know mental math while I'm doing it, and it's not like I'm sitting there with an abacus. But um, for me, I mean, D6 systems are easy because I've been doing it for so damn long. I can make some pretty easy decisions. But D10 is nice. Because I can always think of it as a percentage. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, I have a 20% chance of this happening. Um, you know, my character clearly doesn't have a line of shot there. He probably wouldn't take that shot. He'd probably move for a better position. And so you, just having that percentage in my head, um, ballpark, gives me an idea of what a character might do um, or depends mm -hmm. on how desperate they are. Um, so right. I think D10 is great for that. Because you can also, you know, pin, even if you don't necessarily right. wound the guy. You can pin him and then just kind of reduce his actions, his ability to act the next turn. Mm -hmm. Again, that uh, trying to factor that thought in without being too complex um, and, like you said, granular, but to, to add a little bit of that flavor, a little bit of that opportunity to right. like, 
okay, I got to move to flank or I can pin him or, you know, I definitely don't have that shot, you know, but it may be if I aim, um, you know, if I use an action to aim to get that plus one bonus, mm-hmm. then maybe I can, you know, maybe I can do something here. Exactly. So anyway, yeah, that's, yeah. that was the, that was the thought behind the D10. Now I know I read this, but. I, I, I not having actually put it on the tabletop, I'm, I'm I'm struggling to remember this. So please excuse the question. But with yeah, no, pinning, okay. um, rookies are more likely to be, or sorry, are more affected by are by pins than veterans because the veterans have more activations. Correct. Correct. And so if you take away the rookie's one action in his next turn, you've you've essentially you know pinned him down. Mm-hmm. Right. You you've removed you've taken him out of the gameplay the whole next turn. Right. Whereas you've inconvenienced the veteran. Right. You've taken away mm-hmm. one of his three actions. He's exactly. got to spend an action to remove the pin. So now you can you can pin guys multiple times. But um, yes, that is again, that's one of the disadvantages or the well disadvantages. That's one of the choices you make when you elect to take rookies. Right. Um, you can, cause they can learn and grow and get advances and then get promotions, but you've got to, you've got to sort of babysit them along and mm-hmm. take them through. Um, but if you do that, you'll get rewarded because they'll get advances and they'll grow and they'll end up becoming hardened guys and, or veterans, mm-hmm. but you've got to be smart about it. Yeah. And I like the way you use the term babysit and that, I think that, I think that descriptor perfectly matches that situation sometimes um, because the, the zone is a deadly place. Right. But, you know, again, in the, the narrative story, like, Hey, I brought this guy. I remember when this guy was just a green kid right. straight into the zone, you know, whatever. And you're like, yeah, but look at him now. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, he's yeah. So that's a little bit of the narrative element to it where you brought a guy along through five or six games and you're like, cool, look at him now. Yeah. Now I do love, um, when you are describing, uh, in the mission section and, and maybe this question should be in, when we were talking about missions, but, um, you describe sort of the setting for each mission. Um, I do love that even though this is a very specific, um, setting, there's a wide variety of, possible settings within that so you have a village you have sort of a wide open vista you have sort of plants you have you know city blocks um there's quite a few i i don't want people walking away from this thinking that the game is always the same tabletop setup and you just move a few terrain pieces around there's a lot of really interesting uh terrain options and as you if you look at the uh stalker 7 facebook page there's some really fantastic ideas of ways that you can make the tabletop you know interesting and interactive for this game um and not have it always be same samey um which i think is great um and i was initially very surprised by and you know given I don't know why. I mean, having watched the Chernobyl television series and having read a little bit about the area before the 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 power plant failure, um, the, I mean, there was a lot of things there. I mean, it was a mm-hmm. yeah. So it's just it isn't as sort of same samey as one might expect. Um, and I just wanted to carefully lay that out there. Do you want to speak a little bit about that? Well, I wanted to be respectful. It's a miniatures agnostic game. Right. So I want to be respectful of the, the different gamers that are people that are going to pick up this game and, and try and 
play it with their collection. Right. And so I don't, I hate it when somebody says, yeah, hey, look, buy my game. Oh, and you have to buy these proprietary tokens Mm -hmm. and you have to use this proprietary terrain and you can only use these miniatures and you have to buy these special dice with these special symbols on them. You know, but other than that, it's a completely generic game, you know, or whatever it might be. So, yeah. um, And again, not to crash on other game designers. I mean, that's how they want to do it. But my thought was, okay, people are going to pick up this game and I don't know what's in their terrain collection. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's in their miniature collection. So, you know, swap if you're like like you had mentioned the, the zone hostiles earlier. If you don't have zombies, use spiders. I, mm-hmm. I don't care. It right. doesn't matter if that's what you have. So if you are like, hey, I've got a bunch of woodland uh, terrain, but I don't have a lot of ruined urban terrain or vice versa. Fine. Use that. You right. know, create a zone that way. Um, or you say, gosh, I have Western armies, not Soviet flavored. Fine. Do it. Do you know? Go run with that too. Exactly. It's really okay. Uh, you know, fit this game to your collection and your preferences. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was my. That was the thought there. Yeah, and it. I just. It's. It's great to see. And you are part of a growing number of game designers who are creating sort of miniature agnostic games that. Um, are so inclusive and allow people to, if you have sort of a weird and wonderful collection of miniatures like some of us do, um, that we're able to just pull it out and get going. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. Get them. Yeah. You, they, I had, but we were going to talk about hardwired later, but yes. that was sort of the, the impetus behind hardwired, which is like, I have all these cool random miniatures. How can I put them to use? Well, actually you know? that was my next question. So, um, I know that this may be the first game that some people know that you've put out, um, but you put out a game previous to this, uh, a game called Hardwired, and we've mentioned it a few times, but it, it's a cyberpunk game, yes? Yep, it's a cyberpunk game. Uh, again, I game with a good group of guys, and a lot of them come from a role-playing you know, D&D background, mm-hmm. and we had just, we, we rotate you know, different games in the schedule. And so somebody had just run a um, RPG campaign Mm-hmm. A cyberpunk RPG campaign using Savage Worlds. Nice. Um, and then prior to that, we had done some some D and D, some Fifth Edition. And so I really liked um, everybody cooperating mm-hmm. on the table around a single story. And then it was coming around to like, okay, it's Pat's turn. Pat Pat wants to get you know some miniature carnage on the tabletop. Let's get back to tabletop wargaming. Right. But I thought, okay, so how can I? How can I kind of grab that feeling of the cooperation? And so I, I came up with this kind of, and oh, and I love the game Pandemic. Great Where game, you play right? against, mm-hmm. yeah, where you're playing against the table. Yeah. Playing against the board. So I just, I wrote this simple set of rules using poly- polyhedral dice set sort of as an action pool. Mm-hmm. And then where everybody on, everybody around the table is part of a cyberpunk crew that has to, you know, perform a mission. Yeah. And you have these waves of enemy security, hostile security coming in from random spawning points at the edges of the table mm-hmm. trying to stop you from escorting your VIP or from stealing that data chip mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Um, and so we, we just had fun with it. And so that's how Hardwired came about. It's a solo. It's, it's a meant to be a cooperative, but you can play it solo um, game, cyberpunk game where you can slot any cool miniature 
you have this random from your random selection. Mm-hmm. You can fit them into a, a you fit them into a class, give them some skills, create a mission, and then off you go. You're running. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I yeah. love that it's got solo elements as well. That really. Um, they're just so, I mean, as you say, time is an issue these days and sometimes, you know, coordinating with other people is really hard, but there are nights where, you know, my wife might go out, um, and I'm home with the dogs. And usually that means I'm podcasting these days, but there are still those nights where I'm like, Hmm, I could set up and play a game. Um, but if, if I don't have one, well, I guess I'll do something else. Um, and don't get me wrong. Painting's great. But sometimes you just have that itch to play a game and you just can't find someone to play with. So having a good, solid solo rule set is always good to have up the sleeve. Yeah, thanks. Um, I did just finish and send uh, an addendum to Osprey regarding solo play and co-op play for Zona Alpha. Ooh. So some some guidelines for that. It's just a couple of pages that sort of a rules tweak. And then Soren, um, the guy from Bloodbeard's Garage, mm-hmm. he had he had a couple of house rules that I'm like, oh, that's cool. So I spoke with him and I'm like, hey, do you mind if I, you know, all credit where credit is due. We'll put it, I'll, I'll include these in the solo and co-op, you know, guidelines. Mm-hmm. And so he was all for it. So I just sent those off to Osprey. I'm, they're going to probably convert it to a PDF and put it up on the website soon. It'll be free. Awesome. Again, it's just a couple of pages, but it's just something to let gamers, you know, play on their own. Um, oh, man. Yes. I, I yeah, I have on tap sort of in the back of my mind this little five-part linked campaign that's made especially for solo play where you your crew in Zona Alpha is trying to stop some nefarious corporation from – you know, detonating a nuclear device in the middle of the zone. Mm-hmm. So you you have the choice to either help them do it or try and stop them from doing it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that well, cool. it's there. I just got got to get the time to write it. You know, and hammer mm-hmm. it out. I hear you. I yeah. hear you. Make sure it works. Yeah. But yeah, and I'm assuming that that all that information or you know the PDF that you're talking about with Osprey will be shared mm-hmm. on uh, Stalker Seven as well. So it will. I, yeah. I again, I have to. I want to. I wanted to send it to Osprey first. You know. Oh, absolutely. But then, yeah, of course, I'll put it up in the next couple of days. So sweet. I can't wait, man. Because uh, yeah, I'm as I said, I literally primed my crew this morning i'm ready to rock and roll or i will be so. right on right on Ooh, yeah oh cool that's awesome i i love and that actually brings me to my my last question which was what's the future hold um and sounds like you are chugging along you you have you have plans for this um i do um but i'm not sure I can't speak for osprey i don't know how expansions do for blue books and things like that right. i know that I'm going to keep, you know, putting out ideas and content and stuff as it occurs to me, just because I love the game and I love the setting. Yeah. Um, I'm also working on a fantasy version of Hardwired um, that has campaigns and and experience sort of sort of integrates the idea of the advances and XP Mm -hmm. from Zona Alpha, but keeps those core hardwired dice mechanics. Um, and nice. keeps again. It's a simple game that's miniatures agnostic. That's designed to get you. You know, you can use any fantasy miniature you have, slot it in, get it on the table, and and get playing. You can read it in an afternoon and be playing that night. That's cool. Um, now, well, where, yeah, I'm working on it. So. Where are we going to find out more information about that? Will that also be on uh, Stalker Seven, or are we going to? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Not I sure put yet. A couple of. 
Yeah, I put a couple of posts up on the Stalker 7 about the game. Um, I posted some pictures of one of the first test games mm-hmm. the other day. Um, and our heroes pulled off a last-minute win, nice. so which was good because they were just being swarmed by vermin. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not at a stage where it's you know for fit for public consumption yet, cool. but I'm working on it. And as I as as details become apparent, yeah, I will release more information. Well, that's the cool thing, man. It means it's you're clearly playtesting it, and you're making sure it's right before you put it out for the world. And that uh, yeah, I don't think anyone can complain about. I mean, I know in the olden days, you know, we would just go, okay, cool. When is it coming out? Cool, great. But to actually have someone who's, especially um, when it's just you um, and your gaming group, and then I'm sure you have other playtesters, but to make sure that things are right before you put them out is uh, something that all of us can appreciate. Yeah, I'd say to the guys, okay, so here's some rules. Let's try and break them. Mm-hmm. So and let to make sure that they work. So that's that's what we do when we play test. And Sweet. again, we didn't get everything with Zona Alpha or with you know whatever, but we got a lot of them. And yes. so it, you know, I'm reasonably confident that the game works. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Nice. Well, mate, thank you so much for coming on today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And, you know, Pat, I cannot wait to get the models on the tabletop and push them around. And this just seems like such a a novel and uh, interesting new setting for me. I know it's not new for some people, but, um, yeah, it just it, it looks like exactly of everything I've wanted in a skirmish game. So uh, on behalf of the greater gaming community, I know a lot of people who uh, bought this game locally, um, knew I was talking to you today, and a bunch of them said, tell them thanks. And so, thank you. Um, We really do enjoy it, and please keep up the good work. Hey, man, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, and you're more than welcome. You know, it's it's a genuine pleasure, and I'm I'm honored, and I'm kind of, I'm like humbled just to be part of it and be able to give something back. Right on, brother. Right on. Right on. All right, so one final thing. Yes, sir. Nobody, if you, did you read my bio on, in, uh, on the, in the rule book? Yes. I read, uh, the beginning. Yes. That you, about your father who took you or your stepfather who took you to minifigs. Yeah. To minifigs. Yeah. Um, and I also set my game table on fire. What? I missed that. (laughs) How did you do that? Okay. So yeah, I, there are very few people that know this story. Um, but I'm sharing it with you so and you the can internet. edit it in, <laughs> edit it in. Yeah. Yeah. Edit it in as you need it. So, you know, there I was, I was like 13 years old. I had, uh, I really got into American, uh, AWI, American war of yeah, independence, yeah. American revolutionary mm-hmm. things. Right. So I had this room in my parents' basement, um, with this one little window, you know, that little basement window that's down in the well. I had that right? same you know, so it's room. A little bit of light. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Only when the light is just right. Yeah. So I had built like all these little farmhouses and I had all these little trees out of, um, you know, the scale model mm-hmm. railroad trees. And I had all these farmhouses built out of out of cardboard and stuff. And then I had these little matchstick fences. And what I this did once very after my collection had been. Yeah. And had been built up, I um, turned off all the lights in that little room, and I recreated an, a British raid on an American town mm-hmm. where they burned the barns yep. and stuff. So what I did was I stole some matches from my mom, <laughs> and, I, and I turned out all the lights, and I set up all the guys, yeah. and I lit all the buildings on fire. 
and then I and then I got down and looked at it eye level from yeah. every angle. Yeah. With all the lights out, and it looked like a night raid. Yeah. Right with the little with the British mm-hmm. lining of the red coats and the big bearskin Shaco hats and the so good. the American colonists hiding in the woods and stuff like that. So it looked really cool for about five minutes, and then until the room started to fill up with smoke. And then I, anyway, I got in a lot of trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it looked really cool for about five minutes. Oh. So anyway, that's how I yeah, that's how I set my game table on fire. Yeah, and now you know. And there you go. And I thought I got in trouble at that age when I um, <laughs> was spray painting my first set of uh, fantasy science fiction bunkers that I'd made out of styrofoam, and it spent forever building them and gluing them, and you know, cutting them meticulously. And I, you know, I'm sure they look like garbage, but um, at the time, I was so proud of them, and I thought they were the greatest things I'd ever done. Um, and then, you know, Boston in the winter, I was up to my knees in snow and went, yeah, I can't wait to prime these. I got to do it now. And so primed them in my parents' living room, um, nice. not knowing that spray paint melts styrofoam and the fumes. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Parents were not happy about that. And since my yeah. parents' house looks more like a museum than a home, not a great moment. <laughs> anyway wow yeah good right on excellent we all have our uh gaming moments as a kid (laughs) yeah right exactly exactly awesome well man thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it no worries well hold on uh pat thank you so much for coming on ladies and gentlemen when you're listening to this um if you want to find out more please go to stalker seven on facebook um pat where can we find hardwired if folks want to find that i know a bunch of people will Okay, the Hardwired game and the expansion um, are both available on Amazon and a War Game Vault um, in print and electronically. Nice. So, and they're short money. So, and yeah, guys, if you haven't checked out, um, I've been going to War Game Vault for quite a while. Uh, I know that friend of the show Dave Monroe often gets a lot of stuff from there. There are some awesome games and some awesome game resources on there. If you haven't checked it out, it's definitely worth a look uh, on a lunch break one day. They just have so many cool things. Um, that are just wonderful gaming resources. So War Game Vaults um, for role-playing and for just tabletop games. Tons of great stuff on there. Cannot... Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. It, it's it's a wonderful right. opportunity for young... for game developers to put things online, too, that wouldn't normally have that opportunity to have things pro- you know fully hardback published, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I guess that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, I haven't mentioned this in a while, but I, I do think it is worth mentioning. Ladies and gentlemen, um, I have to say thank you again. So many people have messaged me in the new year with awesome messages saying that they've recently found the show. Uh, if you're listening to this and it's your first time listening to Cast Dice, thank you very much. Uh, please enjoy the back catalog. It is there and hopefully isn't going any going away anytime soon. Um, there's a lot of great games that we talk about in there um, and just weird and interesting conversations. Uh, so thank you for listening. Uh, I know that podcasts don't cost money, but uh, time is often more precious than money, as we talked about earlier in this episode. And the fact that you took the time to listen to this today is uh, it means a lot. So thank you uh, for taking the time to listen to Cast Dice today. Uh, and as our good buddy Casey says, ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Good night. <laughs>
Another day 